0: Uh, Most of you probably don't know this about me, but I have kind of a really boring, guilty pleasure. I love watching nature documentaries on Netflix. Um, I've watched every single BBC Earth nature documentary on Netflix in its entirety, and that adds up to an embarrassing amount of time that I probably should have spent studying this past year. Um, One of the reasons I love them, though, is because every single time I watch them without fail, every single episode I watch, I'm drawn into reveling in the awe of the creativity and the power of God. Um, there's some really cool stuff out there, cool things I learn every single time. For instance, narwhal. Probably not an animal you think about every single day. They're those small whales that have like the unicorn tusk on their head. And every year in the spring when the ice starts to melt in the Arctic, um, they start traveling north to hit some huge feeding waters Uh, So what they need the sun to do is to melt the ice, create big cracks in the frozen tundra to allow them to pass through because they're mammals, so they need to breathe air. Sometimes, however, they get stuck because the sun hasn't cracked the ice open enough to allow them to pass through. So they have to wait there for hours and hours and sometimes days um, until the sun cracks the ice open. And other times, they're actually trapped uh, if the ice refreezes around them. And this puts them in a place where they're completely dependent on an external force, the sun, to melt the ice and get them to safety. Without the sun, they would eventually drown. It's a lot like when we're put into tough situations where the ice is closing in on every side and we're completely dependent on God to get us out. We can try to do it ourselves, but at the end of the day, we need him and only him to make possible what it is we need to do. So I'd like to dig in deeper to this topic this morning. So let's dive into Jeremiah 20 verses 7 to 13 Uh, and see what God has to say to us this morning. It's Jeremiah 20, 7 to 13. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot... For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side, denounce him. Let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, and then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for He has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. So here's the big idea for this morning. The Bible teaches us that during trials, we can worship or whine. Let's break that down. Uh, let's look at the, the first few verses that delineate our inherent weakness, which is the state that we're all in because of our sin. Verses 7, 8, and 10. Again, O oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day, and everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived and then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. The writer of this passage Uh, Jeremiah is obviously feeling pretty down about his circumstances right about now. He feels deceived by God, betrayed by his friends, and like everyone else is out to get him. Just for some context, so you can understand why he might be feeling this way, Jeremiah was called by the Lord to be a prophet to the nation of Israel at a pretty young age, and he served in this prophetic capacity for actually over 40 years. His main message in preaching was to call the people of Israel back to pure living because they'd been living in rebellion from God without any care as to what they did or how they lived. His messages, though, were not well received. And as far as scholars can tell from what Jeremiah says in his book, over those 40 years that he preached, only two people ever believed him and repented. The rest of the country hated his guts and wanted to kill him because he was trying to tell the truth. So, you can see why you might have gotten discouraged every once in a while. Right off the bat, in verse 7, he blames God for his sorry life. He blames God for the trials that he's had to endure and feels like God is the person that he should blame. He feels like God's deceived him in this. While God is not by nature a deceiver, we do know that he's in control and that he did allow Jeremiah to go through these circumstances. And that he is the one that allowed his friends to betray him and his hometown to plot against him, like it says earlier in chapter 11. And it is God, after all, who told him to warn the people of their wrongdoing and he who knew what the reaction would be against Jeremiah. While it might be kind of brash for Jeremiah to call God out on deceiving him, it's not totally surprising that he does. It's important to note that Jeremiah's words here, however, do not state anything that's true about God, but simply tell us what Jeremiah is feeling about him in the moment. It's often the same with us. What we feel about God does not necessarily align with who he really is. Have you ever felt like Jeremiah? Are there instances in your life that have made you feel beaten down and betrayed by your close family, your friends, and God? Maybe it was a divorce or someone you loved a lot passed away. Maybe you feel like you've got nobody else on your team right now except for you. I know I've felt like that, and I think all of us have felt like that at some point or another. A lot of times, our initial reaction is to pass the blame onto God immediately. It's pretty common to feel like, if he's in control, then he's the one I should be blaming for this. He's the one that put me here, and he's responsible. Or maybe sometimes... Our lives look a lot like Jeremiah's because we act a lot like the people he was preaching to. Our inherent weakness sometimes messes up our thinking and we begin to let our negative emotions cloud our clarity about God. Because all of us are weak and we're all put into situations where we feel beaten down and betrayed. And we often get mad at God instead of looking at our own lives and realizing that we're all in a hopeless Jeremiah situation because of our sin. We live however we want, oftentimes ignoring or turning on the people that try to correct our behavior or give us advice, and then immediately get mad at God for making things go downhill for us. So if you don't relate to Jeremiah's helpless state in these verses, you probably should on some level. We're all powerless to get out of the mess that our sinfulness creates by ourselves. But luckily, that's not the end of the story. So let's look at verse 9 now, where we see the inescapable calling that God draws us towards. Verse 9, If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. Let's just hold on for a second here. He wants to quit. But he's not the only person in the Bible... That ever wanted to quit, is he? No, let's look at a couple of other people in the Bible who at some point or another wanted to quit. I have a list that should be up on the screen. Uh, Moses in Exodus 2.15 runs away from his people that he's called to lead in the future because of fear of punishment for crimes that he's committed. Elijah in 1 Kings 19.3-4 goes out into the desert and asks God to take his life. Job, in Job 3, 11 to 13 asks God why he'd ever been born. Jonah, in the third verse of his book, runs away from God and ignores his calling. Joseph, in Matthew one 19, things get rocky in his marriage-to-be and he wants to divorce Mary. And the disciples, in Matthew 26-56, abandon Jesus in his most vulnerable and difficult hour. Jeremiah is not alone in this. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Now, this is really incredible because even though he's feeling burnt out, defeated, betrayed and alone as a direct result of his preaching in the name of God, he can't stop preaching in the name of God. Now when he wants to quit, it's like a fire is burning inside of him and he can't. Because God wired him this way, his passion outweighs his pessimism. He feels this deep-rooted need and desire to keep doing what God designed him to do. And every genuine believer, just like Jeremiah, has an inescapable calling. So if you're God's man or woman, then you're called by God to go out and make a difference for Jesus, even in the face of every kind of opposition that you can think of. If you're a Christian, then we all have the same calling, to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is something that we all have in common, but how we go about that can look quite different for all of us, prophet or not. I have a friend, his name is Mark, and he's a spoken word poet and a pastor at a church in Toronto, and he loves uh, writing poems, gospel-centered, Jesus-focused poems, recording them, filming music videos to go alongside of them, and then posting them on his Instagram to spread the gospel in this unique way. Maybe you're also a poet or you're some other kind of artist, like a musician, or you love the visual arts, and maybe you're really handy and you use your use your skills to go into strangers' homes and you drywall their basement or you fix the leak in their kitchen sink. Maybe you're really friendly and you like shaking people's hands as they walk through the doors here or inviting people over for dinner. It's something that you love to do. The point is that this is a room of extreme diversity and all of us have our passions that make us who we are. Jeremiah's passion and gifts involved Preaching. He was made for that specific purpose, so when he tried to go against his wiring, he found that he couldn't. God made him to preach, so even when he didn't want to, he still wanted to, and he had to. Have you ever tried to pull a Jeremiah and, do the right, and avoid doing the right thing? About a month and a half ago, I drove past a homeless man sitting on a median at the exit of a parking lot, and he was holding the stereotypical sign, says, I'm homeless, please spare some change. And I was was sitting there waiting for the light to go. Um, I was watching him smoke a cigarette, watching him trip out on something that he was on. And my initial reaction was, yeah, right. You have enough money to buy cigarettes and whatever else you're on, but you want me to give you money for food now? Okay, sure, no thanks. But in the middle of my cynicism... The Holy Spirit threw a completely different thought into my head. Pray for him. I was actually very taken aback by this thought because I had just been thinking about him super negatively, super judgmentally, and all of a sudden I felt like I should pray for him. Okay, sure, I guess. So I did. And then I felt like I should give him money. I had this weird gut feeling that I should give him some of the spare change in my car, but instead I fought off that feeling until the light turned green and I drove on my merry way. The whole ride home, I felt really uneasy about that. Of course, the parable where Jesus ends with, I asked you for water and you gave me none, came into my head, and I was like, man, I just kept a couple bucks from Jesus. I still think about that guy pretty often. I hope I can see him again and actually do the right thing next time. That uneasy conviction that I felt on my way home is the Holy Spirit prompting me to do something and he's usually prompting you to do something as well. Don't do what I did and try to rationalize your way out of it and tell God, oh no, I know better. He's going to use it to buy drugs or I'm too tired to do that thing for that person. Our job isn't to try to do what makes sense to us but try to do what God's calling us to do with our lives. If Jeremiah was going to do what was probably the most logical decision, he would have quit a long time before he hit the 40-year mark and moved to the ancient Near Eastern of Hawaii or something and drank pina coladas on the beach for the rest of his life. But he couldn't do that because he was called to preach. And you too are called to go out there and show all the people in your life the love of Christ, and you will feel convicted when you don't even if your life gets harder because of it. The last section of this passage outlines our inevitable response. So would you read verses 11 to 13 with me? But, note the change in mood here. Up until this point, we've had a sense of the hopelessness hopelessness of Jeremiah's situation. He wants to quit his ministry so bad because all of it seems like a big waste of time. Have you ever wanted to quit? Maybe you've wanted to quit your job. Maybe you've wanted to quit your marriage or your family. Maybe you've wanted to quit your faith. Maybe you've even wanted to quit your life. I know I've wanted to quit before quit my job, my relationships whatever, no matter how much it would change everything. Because sometimes when I take a step back and I look at it all, it seems like way too much for me to handle. Life gets overwhelming pretty fast sometimes, doesn't it? And if you've ever felt like you've needed to quit, lean in close and listen, because the most faithful man in all of Israel felt the same way that you do. And he's bearing his heart with us right here, right now. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and they will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, Praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. What we see here is the choice that we have about how to respond to our trials and our difficulties. Remember the big idea? The Bible teaches us that during trials, we can either worship or whine. So instead of deciding to say sulking in his misery, Jeremiah chooses to worship. But why? Right at the beginning of verse 13, Jeremiah realizes that even though God's totally in control and he did indeed allow him to reach this rock bottom point of life, he was with him the whole time. God didn't just throw him into a pit and expect him to get out by himself, but instead he joined him down there and fought for him like a mighty warrior. Therefore, Jeremiah says, my persecutors will not overcome me because of his own not because of his own willpower not because of his smooth talking but because god is on his side or more accurately he's on god's side and those who try to oppose god as we see here will be shamed they will not succeed because you know what god doesn't expect you to do it by yourself and in fact he knows that you can't do it by yourself But he can and he will enable you to execute your inescapable calling when you choose to turn to him in praise. Look again at verse 12. Jeremiah has committed his cause to the Lord. He wants only to do what God wants him to do, and that's why and how he has God batting for him. What would have happened if Jeremiah hadn't chose to turn to worship? What if he decided to keep whining? Well, he probably would have looked a lot like the rest of the nation of Israel. The meta narrative of the Old Testament is that the people rebel, they live in sin and darkness, and then life gets tough. They whine about it for a while, and then suddenly remember to cry out to God. Their troubles don't stop until they realize that life without God is misery. It only brings hopelessness with no way out. You see, the circumstances that we find ourselves in don't really change a whole lot whether we're Christian or non-Christian. If you go to church every Sunday or you don't, you have really, really hard days and really, really awesome days. The difference, though, is whether we choose to turn to God or try to figure it out on our own. Too many times, things happen that are out of our control. Look at Jeremiah. The whole country hated his guts and wanted him dead. There's not a whole lot you can do once you get to that point, but he says, the Lord is with me, and that's what makes all the difference. Let me just clarify now that I don't want to diminish the difficulties that you're going through or that you have gone through or that you will go through. We all know what it's like to suffer, and this choice to worship instead of whine about it is not an easy decision to make. It's actually one of the most difficult things that we can possibly choose. But Let me say this. Worship doesn't have to be done with a happy-go-lucky, nothing's-wrong-at-all attitude. Worship isn't ignoring the pain. The Psalms are full of worship music written during times of extreme anguish. So please make sure you understand this. Worship isn't ignoring the pain. So when difficulty arises, and it will, it's okay to feel defeated and hurt and sad. But when you choose to respond to the Lord in worship despite these emotions, you turn the focus away from the helplessness of the situation and acknowledge that God can and will turn hopelessness into hope. Another important thing to note, consciously committing our causes to the Lord is a super important step in any undertaking that we pursue. Even if it's a great thing to do, consulting the Lord through prayer and intentionally devoting it to Him to accomplish His purposes is a non-negotiable for Christians. So most of you probably know that I'm getting married in a month to a lovely lady sitting in the front row who adamantly denied standing up and waving to everyone but we've been going through some premarital counseling over the past few months. We actually just finished up on Thursday. Um, So we have some sort of vague idea of how to prepare for marriage, I guess. So people keep asking me if I'm nervous, and I keep saying I don't know what to be scared of. I I don't know enough about it. So no, I'm not scared. Anyways, in one of our sessions, uh, through the discussion, I was told that I I I have a tendency to want to be self-sufficient, And what that means is that my default mode of operation is to figure out a way to get things done by myself, most often not talking to Rachel or talking to God about it at all in the decision-making process. If I need to do something and it's crunch time, I just do it. And this is a very unhealthy way for Christians to operate, and I've been working a lot on this weakness in my life. What I should be doing instead is praying and asking God that what am I about to do if it's the right thing and if it's the right time to do the right thing? And even if I know it is, I should still pray and tell him that the reason I'm doing it is for him. And this is exactly what Jeremiah means when he says, For to you I have committed my cause. So my question for you then is, Have you committed your cause? Have you committed your passions and your desires, your actions and your decisions to God yet? Or do you simply assume that you're going to be on the same page with him without talking to him at all? The end of the passage ends with Jeremiah singing and praising God. Despite all the conflict, despite the opposition and the loneliness and the hurt that he's experienced, He chooses to praise. You see, when faced with trials, we can either choose to respond in whining or in worship. The first option gets you nowhere. It's usually a fairly entitled approach that will only lead to dark places. Second option, though, worship is proactive and ideally the natural response during our difficulty because you know that despite the difficulty and despite the apparent helplessness and hopelessness of the situation, God put you there and you know that he is on your side fighting for you as a dread warrior so that all of your persecution will never stand a chance. So today I choose to praise. What do you choose?